And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Dr. Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrushigan Wardner. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecializing in intervention. And we have a very special guest with us today, someone that we have been interacting with loads on social media and also now on our Twitter spaces on a weekly basis. We've got Ajay with us today. Go ahead, introduce yourself, Ajay. Welcome to the team. Hi, good evening. My name is Ajay, Ajay Verma. I'm a gastroenterologist. You know me. So it's eventually we've finally done this. It seems like we've been waiting yeah, for yeah. to do this. What do you subspecialize in? Oh, God. I'm one of those do a lot, really. So early bowel cancer, endoscopy, inflammatory bowel disease. I like to call myself a general gastroenterologist. Okay, so you're not luminal. I find it really funny when gastroenterologists are like, luminal. Luminal. <laughs> luminal. Well, okay. it's either luminal wow. or liver, really. So uh, oh, okay. you know, we do liver work when we're on call, but it's very complicated. So I like to stick to the simple luminal side of things. Yeah, so I'm a luminal yeah. gastroenterologist. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, big question. I think everyone's going to know. Is your ALS up to date? I mean, we've got a few shifts. <laughs> <out of this. laughs> so actually, mine is not, which is a bit of a... <gasps> oh, what a surprise. Oh. What a surprise. There you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. What a surprise. Because <laughs> I've been a consultant now for six years. So it probably lapsed about 18 months ago. Yeah. Wow, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, I so that means... down, yeah, I can't act down. Yeah, you, terrible, isn't it? You can't act down, that's it. You know, don't, don't ask Ajay for any shifts. Don't try and try and, try and try it. He's, his ALS is completely out. So in an arrest, you'd just be on chest compressions, wouldn't you, I guess? <laughs> that's all right. Good choice. Uh, actually, it was quite funny. We had an arrest on the ward. Doesn't sound funny, but anyway. Yeah, it's not a laughing matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's just, I, I kind of just, it was like an old glove. I just, because uh, we were waiting for ITU, this guy was a respiratory arrest. He still had an output, but... Mm. It's just weird. It was just like back 10 years ago, it just fit on like a glove. Like I wasn't, I was just leading it. I was like, okay, well, why don't one of you get a camera in? Has someone called ITU? Can we look at the notes? So I think um, after doing that so many times, you don't forget that bit. But yeah, I didn't have to remember any T's or H's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know any of that stuff. I'm, you know, mine's probably out of date for you, even while I was training. So yeah, we were saying earlier, like, um, usually our list takes a while to build up as regards to what we're going to be talking about. But this week, woo, it filled up quickly, didn't it, guys? It really did. We've got a lot to talk about. God knows where we'll get through it all. I mean, we do have a newsletter to try and pull some of the things across. But, yeah. uh, you know, here we go. Should, what should we start with? Where do, where do we start from? Go on. Well, I think there was a tweet from Rohin, which is hard to... I'm sure he, he doesn't listen to us, I'm sure, because he's, you know, very busy. He's, he's very busy with all... Yeah, yeah, you know, he's got a blue tick and stuff, you know, all the responsibilities <laughs> that come with that. But he um, he did a tweet, which is really interesting, and maybe it's narcissism, which made me think that, it was, that I thought he was talking about us specifically. But he said about sharing too much in social media and then he specifically mentioned podcasts and I was like, there aren't that many podcasts. Well, I mean, there are loads of podcasts out there. But he goes, how much should you retain for yourself? And he talked about you know, how much people share on social media. And obviously, like, that's something that we kind of think about a lot, right? What do you mm. think about it? I mean, it's a, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? We were talking to Ajay. I mean, you kind of went through stages, isn't it? Like on social media where you were you were getting involved. And then and then what happened to you? You were saying earlier about your, your Twitter journey and uh, with regards to how you share things. I think it's a very personal thing, right? And you, you go through different phases. You might be at a phase where you're sharing a lot and it might be a work thing. So I tweet a hell of a lot, but I like to represent everything I do. So I'll tweet about whether I went to the beach yesterday. I tweeted about that. 
Um, mm. But I do a lot of educational stuff as well. So I do uh, some educational stuff for GPs and, and because I, I actually love my specialty and love what I do. And I think if I can share some of the simple joys that I have of kind of doing things right and doing things simple, then uh, I can give that knowledge to other people as well. So I, I don't have an issue with it. But you do see when you look on Twitter that kind of the aspects, the kind of the, the huge spectrum of what people will post. So some people are uber professional. They run a professional account. They may even have a separate personal account and they're very mm. strict. And I even know some people that are so siloed with that, that they'll only tweet about their subspecialty. So like me, just I'm just going to tweet luminally. It seems a bit boring that, doesn't it? So <laughs> uh, I, I like to mix it up. I, I will post stuff for my family. I've started to post a little bit less about my kids. Um, which is a shame. I, I love posting about my kids, but you hear about some of the dramas around it and some people saying, well, it can be manipulated and stuff like that. So I'm trying to be a little bit more careful, but I'm quite happy to share. I, I think I like people who get to know me on social media to realise that is actually me. It's me is me. And, and what you get on social media will obviously uh, represent who I am. So I have no issues at all. I kind of get some of it. There are some people who will post really painful detail if they're going through a life trauma. And you can take that both ways, right? Some some people kind of empathize with that and really get into it and be very supportive. And then some people go, wow, that is really, really personal stuff. And I think if I was going through a really major personal trauma, I probably wouldn't share it in a lot of detail on Twitter. Maybe not. Maybe in the future, like retrospectively, I might, but I wouldn't be kind of live tweeting it or whatever what do you guys think you uh i mean i remember Thrusha, you went through quite a tough point and you said it was actually really helpful for you you found it quite a therapeutic experience to just put it out there right yeah it's funny because it was not funny at all but like when uh when erin was unwell it's weird because there were times when i was like i just want to put this on twitter and i think part of it was because you know with covid like um only me or joe could visit him at one point it was difficult to talk to her about it because we were separated a lot of the time. My family couldn't come and I couldn't go and see my family. I needed something like I needed something. And uh, it was mm. crazy because when I put it out on Twitter, the response I got was mental. Like there was just so much just like all these people. There's so much like love and support. It was amazing. Like people were sending stuff to my house, like cards and people were, like uh, knitting in. So it was just amazing. There were some really, really cool people out there. And I have to say like some of those people, like, you know, they're like friends for life, like to me, like um, it was amazing. There was that anesthetist colleague who posted about feeling suicidal, right? Mm, and people yeah. could argue like, I mean, that's, that's a, a lot to share, but then the outpouring of emotion towards her, and support was also kind of seen as a good thing. But then it kind of gets framed either. Like you, you always get some people who kind of reply somewhat cynically to it and like, oh, you know, what are you doing on here then? And I'm like, well, mm. you know, in the grief, I, I just kind of want like, um, I know certainly I, my, I was all over the place. So I guess if your phone's in your hand, it's quite easy to send a tweet, isn't it, I guess? I think you're quite honest. When you tweet, what you tweet, it seems very real. So I think that's why you get a good reaction because... It never feels like, when I read your stuff, I know, yeah, that's exactly what Thrush is thinking, as opposed to, I wonder what his angle is today. I wonder what his axe to grind yeah. is. So you, mm. I, I suppose I'm similar as well. I, I kind of, I, I'm not trying to promote a personal brand or necessarily promote a single thing. It's just what I'm thinking of at that moment, which may be good or bad. We were talking about, um, you know, like when, you, when you're in those times of like stress, like it, 
if, if it helps, it helps. Whatever it is, as long as, you know, if it helps, it helps. Just do it, whatever. And, you know, I think at this point, for me anyway, I find it difficult to express myself at the best of times, let alone put it onto social media. Even doing these podcasts together through which I found that, like, sometimes I'm having to push myself to be as open as possible. But I guess the point when I do that is more that, like, I feel as though sometimes what I talk about may be beneficial for someone else. Some of the difficulties I may have had in life with my father being sick, having difficulty in training and all that and the bullying and the racism. Like, I think that putting it out there maybe is not such a bad thing. And I think it's easier for me to put that in podcast form than it is for me to put out on tweets. But I was also saying, I think that sometimes I find it a little bit surprising when um, people tweet something about their, like, you know, they'll tweet something like, I love my wife, she's awesome. And it's like, well, if you, if you love your wife, why don't you just like, I don't know, turn around and say, I love you. Like, isn't, isn't that something better to do? I just find that those times when I think like, is everything okay that you need, you need to say that online? And maybe I've been very influenced by like celebrity culture. And I don't know if you remember... Um, Anna Faris and Chris Pratt, they were a couple for a long time. Anyone who followed them for a while saw that their social media was full of lovey-dovey stuff about how much they loved each other. And out of the blue, it broke apart. And he actually came out and said that, you know, not everything that you see on social media is, you know, entirely true. And you're almost pushing yourself to be the happy couple, but actually you don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. And I know Thrusha, we both felt it on Facebook and Instagram like it is different that's a slightly more difficult place to be because people are really trying to promote themselves as the perfect life right perfect bodies perfect things and so i, I feel it's like a double-edged sword and i don't know like how much people really want to know like how much do you really want to know about me and how helpful will it really be for you if i'm going to tweet about it and then obviously like you say you've got the cynics and stuff like that that can make things difficult but i mean this kind of brings us on to one of the other tweets that came up um where someone is talking about how there is a Twitter account that is very, very positive, you know, positive quotes, very inspirational on Twitter. But in real life, uh, you know, for want of a better phrase, they sound like an absolute a-hole. Did, did you see that one? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where do you go with that? A brand well played? Is that what that is? What's happening? Do you know anyone like that, Ajay? Who perhaps, is, you know, what their Twitter account is and you're like, wow. I know you say well-being, but, you know. <laughs> So we talked about this earlier, but it kind of real life, and I think real life that a person's up and down, right? So you have good days and bad days, and good moments and bad moments. And then you're right; there are these accounts who are just nauseatingly positive, and mm. they're so positive all of the time that you then they lose credibility. You go, well, not everything can be like that all of the time, right? Mm. And in the end, I, I mean, I, I try, you know, live and let live. Whatever people want to tweet, that's fine, as long as no one's getting hurt. But you end up kind of maybe muting these folk or, or, or not following them and just trying to keep a bit of distance. I, I find it difficult because I'm trying to be who I am on Twitter, how I am in real life. Uh, mm. The kind of, I, I will keep a little bit of a personal distance, you know. So as you were saying, around about going through a bad time, uh, you know, or, or if you were having problems in relationships and stuff like that, I'd, I wouldn't be live tweeting that or anything like that. But mm. I think it is a, it is, represents me quite well. But you're right. I don't think that someone who's that positive is like, mm. no one can be like that and be sane, I don't think. And then, <laughs> Um, so hmm, yeah. maybe that is true that there kind of is masking the real being a, a proper a-hole as you said yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of wonder though what is the game in that because when people call each other kind of like virtue signalers and stuff isn't it that's yeah. what the term mm. they use and I kind of wonder like essentially you're saying I don't know wanting to be like a better person but 
I guess there's the purpose of like wanting to create a brand, and I guess that's to some end, right? But how、mm. many people actually do do that? And how many people are just saying it because they they're a person that I just kind of like wonder because a lot of times we say stuff. I don't know. I mean, like I had. Do you remember? Like I, I tweeted once because I was like, actually, yeah, people just say nice stuff all the time. And then I decided to do like a thread about how I was a complete knob when I was like a medical reg, and like I, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, and I so like, I thought,、yeah. well, there you go. You know, I, I'm not like a. You know, I, I am like a kind of. I've got multi dimensions, and I can be horrible. Like I guess, like、mm. you know, and these are the things I regret. And like,、uh, but、um, I just kind of wonder, like, to what end when people are creating accounts like that where they just talk about how amazing and brilliant they are. What is the gain, really, other than likes, retweet? Do you not think it is the likes and the follows? So, I mean, I've been tweeting. I've had an account a long time, but I've only really been tweeting kind of last maybe four or five years, and I've built up a few thousand followers. But I'm not bothered by it. I'm not like one to track the number of followers I have or the number of likes my posts get. But I think some people really—that's the game for them. It is like a computer game for them. They've started at level zero, and they、mm. see the ultimate goal is having. You know, fifty thousand followers and a blue tick, right? And then the blue tick, it is just a, yeah, yeah. It's just、hmm. the stages of life for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I actually like looking at Twitter just to hear people's stories, and I take it and leave. And if I'm having a bad day and I don't want to look at it, I, I don't want to look at it. That's what I say to other people. You know, people get really hyped up with what's on Twitter. I'm like, switch it off then. Yeah,、hmm. just switch off your phone, put it down, and and chill out. And before you know it, your feed will update, and everything will have gone. I mean, we've talked about this before in a previous podcast. We we're talking about you know how everyone's a hero in their own little story, right? And you kind of got a personal projection of what you think you are, but that may not actually be a hundred percent true. And you know, and I've definitely seen that. And I, I mean, I've jokingly said that you know I've got very, very nice, nice buddies, very like polite friends. They get behind the wheel on a car, and wow, they completely flip reverse and become this complete like monster on the roads. And then I still remember, like,、um, I mean, this is not a serious thing, but it just did make me think. Is one of those moments where, you think, oh, you know, I wonder if I'm like that? Because、um, there's a good friend of mine, and she was telling me that, you know, one day she was about to get a ticket, and then she managed to catch the guy before getting the ticket, and she was telling the the person, like, look, I'm an honest person, I, I wouldn't do stuff like this, and it's a complete accident, and the guy let her off, it was fine. And then one day we were at something, and then she was leaving, and it turned out like she hadn't paid for the parking to leave the parking place. And then she was like giggling away, like check it out, man! I've got away without paying for parking.、And、she just drove off. I mean, you know, like last week you were telling me, you know, and it just felt like I don't think you're aware of what you've just done, and you know, and it made me think like, wow, am I aware? Like, I, I think I'm a nice guy. I think I'm an honest guy, but am I really? Like, and then you start to really question like how much you really know about yourself, and if someone, and then I start thinking if someone is following me around uh, as an as an you know、uh, objective observer. Would they turn around and say the same things that I think about myself, you know? And maybe that's what people are doing—they're projecting an image of what they really think they are. So they might think that they are a very positive person, wonderful team player,、uh, with a real great outlook on life. But in reality, things may not be quite the same as their perception. Tarusha, you'll know this, right? This is your what we call your cognitive dissonance.、Uh, you may have read about this, and maybe that. that so I'm happy to tell you this. Probably last year, I went on a. A speed awareness course. I, I, I'd been very、oh, yeah. naughty and gone up a whole thirty-five <laughs> mile an hour, and and、uh, I had the course, and it was brilliant because、uh, I remember that we were going through. I, I think the guys who run the, the speed awareness course, the team there, they're, they're, they're great because they know they've got a room of angry, disappointed people, and they just、mm. do it positively. Three hours, job done, off you go. You've、mm. done your time, and and the best bit was right at the end. You do a little kind of.、Uh, 
mop-up session at the end about how to improve safety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this woman, well-to-do woman, she said, you know, there are lots of rubbish drivers out there. Not me, not us in the room, because obviously we want things to be good, but there's lots of rubbish drivers out there. And I just read that, uh, the Black Box Thinking book, Tell Teresa to Read. And it was exactly the same. I was thinking, that's why you're in the room. It's because you're a bad driver, right? You, you broke <laughs> the law. That's what, and it, For you not to realise that, I mean, I realised myself, you know, I, I obviously got caught speeding, so I need to be more careful. So I think that's exactly right, that um, your own self-awareness, your brain protects you from that. Your brain doesn't want you to know the truth because sometimes the mm. truth is horrible. Those courses are full of people like that. And I remember, like, I, I've done three, mate. I've, I've, oh, I've, I've, seriously. I've got to catch got, up. You don't want to know how many points I've got on my license, but anyway, <laughs> like, and I remember like people always argue with them and you're like, mate, you're just arguing and you're just making the whole day last longer. Just sit there, <laughs> suck it up, get through it. I've been through this before. I know what they're going to say, but you just have to yeah. sit there. But she was like arguing and she's like, oh, you know, my like daughter was in labor. And it's like, why are you like driving really fast because your daughter's in labor? Like, I mean, are you <laughs> even supposed to be with her? And then someone asked, like, someone said, if you slow down, uh, no, if someone overtakes you, do you get to your journey uh, does it take you longer to get to your journey? And I remember she said, yes. And I was like, I literally, I couldn't control it. At this point, I was like, it was too much. And I literally <laughs> shouted out, look, if someone goes in front of you, you don't start going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she looked at me and she was like, <clears throat> and she was properly like raging. And I was like, I could, I could picture her like behind the wheel, like driving like a maniac. But I, I, I don't get people like that. Anyway, sorry, that was a veteran of three courses there. There you go. That, that's amazing, Trisha. I did not know that about you. It's completely changed what I thought of you. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised in truth. No, yeah, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. No, that is it's crazy. Like, uh, I feel like there's a lot you can take from the way people drive, you know. And I think we were talking yesterday, like, when do you start to learn to drive? When, when is it that you started learning? And most people will say, oh, you know, when I was 17, 18, that's when I started learning to drive. And actually, you start learning to drive when you're watching your parents drive because you'll find that a lot of the way they drive is the way that you drive. Therefore, that must mean there are so many things that you will be picking up from the people around you early on that you're not even aware of. Think of Nina's poor kids. Yeah, Nina's, yeah, beep, Nina's beep. kids will be beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Oh, God. I had a patient who was a, a driving instructor and he told me that. He goes, you, you get 17-year-olds behind the wheel and they already have all their reactions ready. They know, they curse, they blow the horn, they steer aggressively, they tailgate. You know, that's all learned from their folks from the age of six, seven. And I, I've noticed that my son is now six, Luca, and he mm. watches me drive like a hawk. Like, he literally does. We were in the car yesterday going to the beach, and he, he goes to me, he goes, uh, I said, oh, Luca, you know, you probably switch your iPad off now. We're not too far away. And he goes, yeah, there's, we're, we're going to be there in six minutes. Yeah. Because he'd been looking at the sat nav, and, and you know, even though he had his headphones on and listening to the iPad, he was, he's constantly watching the the sat nav, constantly watching the speedo. He knows, so uh, I'm trying to be better behind the wheel, and and kind of I'm more shrug my shoulders now uh, instead mm. of uh, necessarily uh, having a rage behind the wheel. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think you should put record everybody behind the car in rush hour, and then play it back to them. And they go, that's you. That That's actually you. That's the real you. When there's no comeuppance, no chance of, you know, someone punching you in the face or being rude. That's what you're really like, mate. And you should be worried if you ever get to a position. Have you ever seen that funny video where they pretend that someone's won a million dollars? Uh, and they, they tell this guy he's won a million and he really believes it. And he starts throwing at all his friends. I hate, I don't like you. I don't. And they're like, it was a joke. And then he's like, 
Uh, huh? no. <laughs> oh no listen guys i'm really sorry <laughs> we've known each other for so long oh, man. Uh, but it was it was funny i mean whether it was real or not it does kind of illustrate something that you know some of us may or may not be aware of there's that perception of ourselves isn't it like what we think we're thinking to ourselves we're good people you know we, hopefully we all think that we're good people we're trying to be good people there was a tweet saying like you know when did you realize that being really nice working really hard is actually not actually that i mean they were saying it's not actually that beneficial it's not worth it i mean did you see that tweet did we did we all see that yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw that. I actually, I kind of, I think it, it may be quite sad reading that because there's a difference between being nice and being a pushover. So I, mm. I think being nice is really important because, you, you know, someone told me this and, and I tell this to, to our trainees on the ward, right? Your normal day job will coincide with the worst day of either a patient or their family's life every day. Mm. So every day you're dealing mm. with someone who's having the worst day of their life. So why wouldn't you be try and be nice uh, and in the end that doesn't you don't conflate that with being a pushover so I'm nice mm. I try and be nice to the team I try not to lose my temper you know sometimes I, I fail on that but I try and keep things on, under a lid even if things are really bad because in the end you know we're in this difficult NHS difficult system and, and patients and their relatives are in really crappy days um, mm. but it doesn't mean I'm a pushover. You can be firm and say, no, I, I don't agree with that. I advocate strongly for my patients and my team. You know, that kind of joke, isn't it? You can, you can be tough. I can be tough on my team, but if anyone else goes for my team, they'll have to deal with me type thing. So mm. I, I think being nice is good. And there is that thing, isn't there, about civility and saving lives. You know, if you're a a-hole getting referrals, then you might not get that crucial referral, which involves a critical patient care and an outcome because that uh, trainee on the wall will go, oh, you know, that Dr. Verma, I, I don't want to deal with him because he bought me out last time. So I, mm. even now, I, I try and invest in that time. If I'm telling someone, no, I'm not going to do something, you know, unless it's the RCP, which is quite high risk, I will then try and spend a bit of time with that trainee explaining my reasoning so that at least they understand it's not just me being oh, well, I'm the consultant, I'm not going to do it. It's me explaining my thoughts. And also, hopefully, the next time they've got the referral, they will check if the patient can lie flat for half an hour. They will check if the patient can consent. They will check if the patient's on anticoagulation. So I thought it was really sad. I hope not everyone goes through that way. You can be cynical. I think we all get a bit of cynicism as we get older, but I think fundamentally you need to be nice. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a very important distinction and something that I've taken a long time to really understand that, you know, being a pushover and being nice are two separate things. Because I think for a long time, I was a, probably in trying to be nice was a bit a bit of a pushover. So I think surgical trainees may relate on some level, believe it or not, to what I was going through. But there were some sessions that registrars wanted to do more than others because they felt that like they would gain more from it than others. And I used to find myself in the situation doing the more unpopular session because people are, oh, mate, do you mind, do you mind? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever, you know, like whatever. And actually, when it came to one of my appraisals, the consultant's like, well, hang on, you haven't done much of this CT reporting, why is that? You know, we've been placing you on these places, you know, you're meant to be there to do this. And I was like, well, every week I get keep getting pushed to do something else. And they're like, what do you mean you get pushed to do something else? You know, you need to you need to think about your own training. You need to think about, you know, what is best for you sometimes. And I thought, yeah, I guess so. I just... I don't know, man. When someone when someone's like asking, you think, all right, well, you know, it doesn't. I mean, maybe you should be looking after number one a bit. Maybe that's what they're trying to say. Yeah, uh, yeah, no. I mean, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because like, um, and being able to say no to stuff, there's a real art to it. I think. I used to think. I remember, like, you know, 
that the same thing that happened to me at appraisals where they'd be like why haven't you done this why haven't you done an audit or why haven't you done all these assessments and stuff and I used to kind of like push myself down in terms of priorities and if someone else wanted to go off and like see a procedure so I'd be the one who like stays on the ward or whatever um, and it's interesting because it kind of leads on to one of the other threads that there were which is even more difficult for women because when they do try and assert themselves they're much more likely to get a negative response and be seen as kind of being or characterized in a certain way. Did you see that thread that was um, Adam Grant? Yeah, they were saying that basically, if you're a woman and you stand up for yourself, or you know, remotely outspoken on any level, you get labelled, don't you? Difficult woman. This is actually a really big problem within what we do. You know, you see on the ward all the time, right? If you've got a strong male registrar, then people look up to him, going, "Look at this, this registrar. He's kind of leading the line and and doing the job and and making the tough decisions." And then, yeah, mm. if you have a strong woman as a registrar in a leadership role, you know, they're difficult or they're a bitch. And, and that, that's, I don't think that's acceptable. And it works the other way as well. You know, if you get your new foundation doctor on the ward and they're unconfident and they're learning where they go, I, I, people look after them. I think they get mothered a bit by the nurses, which I, I agree with. They look after them and say, oh, you know, he's all right. He's just learning. You know, we'll support him. Whilst if it's a, a woman who's uh, unconfident, you know, to, oh, she's a weak woman, you know, she's really going to struggle, you know, she's, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing, and start to question competence. And you know, if you're new in the job and people start questioning you in that way, it really can be a, a vicious cycle. So, I, I think mm. the worst thing, and I'm generalising here, so I know that this will offend some people, but in the end, it's often other women who perpetuate this. Mm. Uh, which really troubles me. You know, some of the nurses themselves are the worst culprit of this. And it, sometimes I, I'll hear, uh, um, you know, I'll go on the ward and, and they'll say, oh, the, the new F1, she's, she's quite quiet and, and struggling a bit. And I'll, I'll just say, well, is she struggling? Or are you struggling with her? Because in the end, she's only mm. just started the job. So you need to give her a chance and see how she gets on. And I'll often say, well, I've had no trouble with her. So let's see how it mm. goes. It is a huge issue, massive issue. Yeah. I mean, the patriarchy is like really entrenched in people, isn't it? And I think it comes to how far you deviate from a position of power. And so then people just uh, try and elicit that over other people. I think some of the responses in the thread were really interesting. But my favorite one was from an anesthesiologist who said who gave three points, right? One was mm. you accept that people will always call you a bitch, pretty much whatever you do. And she said, number two, mm. you shank someone without hesitation, but only when absolutely <laughs> necessary. And number three... You give as much grace and kindness as possible and decide that people who mistake that for weakness can F off. <laughs> I was like, pretty good life advice, nice. don't you think? Nice, nice. It's a shame, though, that you have to have a plan, right? I mean, uh, you should just say, you know, you're good at your job, you kind of make the tough decisions, and hopefully the system will go, well, you're doing a good job. And make, but I do feel sad. I think we say the female med reg role is probably the tough, you know, the female on-call reg, really, the med reg or the surgical reg or the IT reg. I think that is a really tough gig. I really, really do. I mean, you know, I never really thought of, I mean, it's just me being oblivious, I guess, you know, not really understanding that point of view until, you know, I remember when the Brexit stuff was happening, right? Theresa May, she was called a, a bloody difficult woman. Do you remember that? And, you know, I remember around that time, that discussion started coming up, like, you know, and I thought, yeah, that's a good point. Like, you know, if she was a guy and she was, you know, playing hardball in negotiations, would they say he's a bloody difficult man? But, uh, you know, because she's a woman, she's a bloody difficult woman. And so this is kind of, it's not just medicine, it's like entrenched in society that like, you know, a woman, uh, uh, it seems to me anyway, that if, if a woman speaks out, stands for stands up for herself, she's going to get labelled as as difficult. And uh, But, you know, in this situation, 
Do you, what, what would you do, um, you guys? Would you would you tweet about it? Would you say that? Oh, you know what? I've just uh, someone's been uh, someone's been a bit difficult. I'm gonna the first thing I'm gonna do right now is first of all tweet to everyone in the wider world that you have been difficult. Well, I mean, is that the correct response? There was a tweet, wasn't there, from uh, a emergency medicine consultant, which was deleted eventually, uh, complaining about mm. a female medredge um, wearing a jacket and. Uh, had uh, some jewellery on or something like that. And I, I, I actually replied to that going, does this need to be live tweeted? Uh, I wondered, mm. I, I, don't, I don't know, and maybe I'm out of order saying this, whether that person would have tweeted if the medreg was a man and was wearing mm. his jacket and, and maybe had a watch on. Would he, you know, may have had a word saying, you know, can you take your watch off and take your jacket off? But to actually tweet it out at 11pm to try and get some views and, and foster some... Uh, kind of uh, conflict there. I didn't like that. I thought that was a bit below the belt. So I, I wouldn't definitely not. I mean, I think you can have a quiet word and, and, and do do your point. But, you know, you've got to respect people as well. You know, being on call is rubbish, right? We've all done it. You know, the last thing you want is then to see something on Twitter about you. You've been like, flipping heck, this isn't great. The mask has slipped though, isn't it? It's given them an insight into their personality and the things that they're kind of like watching for. So how much attention mm. do you really pay to that stuff? And how, how important is that stuff really anyway? Um, mm. But I know that like it often is weaponized. I know you mentioned like from one woman to the other. And I definitely noticed that certainly more like um, other female colleague cardiology registrar who's quite small, Asian, and she kind of, you know, she's quite kind of like flamboyant in what she wears. And she was like managing an arrest and there was a, a consultant who she'd had like, run-ins before, I guess. And so that consultant decided, I guess, to kind of pick on... She was uh, on her hair, like, when she was running on a rest. It just seemed like... It's just really petty. I just... Um, so, I mean, all that stuff, like, when you're talking about people, what people wear, I just think it's kind of pettiness. And But when people do that, they just reveal something about themselves. Like, they don't have anything else to go on, so they go after, like, your appearance. It's just like... Also, do we want like androgynous people who all dress the same and, you know, I mean, isn't it nice to see people with a bit of personality and, and wear what they want? Uh, you know, as long as it's kind of appropriate wear, you know, obviously if they're wearing stuff that is dangerous or, or you know, offensive, that's slightly different. But, you know, each their own, right? We all remember consultants when we were training who, you know, might wear a, a, a dicky bow or wear, wear their hair in a certain way. Yeah, and, and yeah, no one's yeah. Tonight, mm-hmm. right? And you think, oh, that's great. You know, the the, the person who, I, I had a consultant in Liverpool who used to wear a waistcoat, you know, like Gareth Southgate-esque, but it was always really, yeah, really yeah, smart. Cool. And you thought, oh, that's cool. Oh, and, yeah. you know, yeah, that's his, that's his gig. You know, he's got a wardrobe full of uh, waistcoats, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, there was, say, Thrusha. Yeah, why not? Waste why not? come up. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, we should okay. do it. We should do it. But there was a tweet by a colleague who, um, is it Nathan, who kind of mentioned that he wore he wore a, a rainbow lanyard, didn't he? And then, oh no, he had a sign. He had an email sign off that had pride colours, and he was told that that was unprofessional. Like uh, again, like it's just one of those things that's kind of shrouded in this idea of professionality, but really it's just because they didn't like it, right? And they wanted to take... I mean, it's, it's the kind of the, the bully of the senior, right? You know, mm. uh, you're unprofessional. Really? You, that's where you're going to go on an email signature? I mean... I mean, there's so much of that, kind of like this subtle undertone and it kind of is gaslighting right because you it's very difficult to articulate in that moment or when you get it especially in isolation you know a single email to you how do I deal with that because often when you take issue to it it can be framed as oh it's just like a you know a joke or or like or like you know how do you kind of um navigate 
through those kind of weird little kind of professional... I mean, do you just suck it up and deal with it? Or is there a way to kind of call it out? I think there's a line, isn't there? I think if your signature... So I have uh, a hello, my name is, which is pretty benign. But you know, if, I, if I wanted to put a pride logo in, some people put their pronouns and some people get offended by that. I'm like, well, who cares, right? It's just signature. You don't, you're not going to keep it. It's not something that's on your screensaver or anything like that. So if someone mm. says, well, you're unprofessional, I might even challenge them to go, can you define in, in which parameters this is unprofessional? I, you know, I'm a consultant gastroenterologist. You tell me what part of this is unprofessional and, and I will compare it to the standards I'm held to and then I'll make a decision about whether it's professional or not. No, I, I think I think that's a good way of you know benchmarking. Then tell me by what standard, by what regulation, this is unprofessional. Uh, I think you have to do that. I, I, you say that in reality, though. Like if it's just, you know, if someone says that, it's like all right, well, whatever, mate, and just carry on with life. Do you think? Like otherwise, you're going to deal with more more stuff and more grief. Like it depends if it's a recurrent thing. Mm, exactly, yeah, if it's yeah. a recurrent thing. If it's a one-off, you brush it off and you go, yeah, whatever. That's fine. Mm. I'm not going to change. You know, I, I am going to wear my. I wear a rainbow lanyard because I got it from the Royal College and I quite like it. And if someone said you're not mm. wearing that, I'll say, sorry, I'm, I'm going to wear it. I don't give a monkey's what you think, right? But if someone kept yeah. questioning it, then I would go down there to go. Mm, okay, tell me, tell me, explain. What do you mean by that? Because you've you've mm. thrown that at me three or four times now. And, I, and I, it's troubling me. I need to understand what, what that is. Yeah, and I think like rainbows are fabulous, right? I think, you know, you should wear it. I think it looks awesome. Also, one of the other things that we thought were pretty cool, and, you know, it should be okay to like compliment other people on, you know, the, how they look. And we were talking about this, weren't we? Because Imran, rightly, and I've been desperate to do it, but I've always felt a bit shy because it might appear a bit ironic me complimenting another man on their hair, seeing as I don't have any. <laughs> but, uh, but like uh, Imran, you know, com- complimented you on your hair because you have got amazing hair. Is amazing. That's right. That's um, right. Okay, it's kind of. He does have amazing hair, and you know, if in another time, maybe ten years ago, I'd have asked you for tips and how how, but you know, it's too late. <laughs> but, my, but the thing is, is that like, um, it's it's like it's framed in a funny way, isn't it? When you compliment other people on Twitter, like, you know what? I, I still remember. This may sound weird, but I remember my first interaction with Ajay on Twitter. I still remember what it was. It was during lockdown. And, you know, none of us could get haircuts, right? It, was, right? it just wasn't happening. And he took a photo quite close up of his hair and he said something like, I need a haircut soon. And I said to him, I said to you, Ajay, there's a lot of balding men with receding hairlines. All receding hairlines are very jealous of what you have right now. I was. And, um, and you went LOL or something like that. And I thought, man, that guy's got good hair. I'm just, I didn't know who he was. I didn't interact. I just saw, I saw the phone. Up. I said, man. So I, I said it then. And then when I said it again, I was like, so is it a deja vu? But the, you yeah. know what? It's through show. What what was that? What was that thing I sent you early in the week? Do you remember Twitter handle? And I was like, dude, check out this guy. Do you remember what that was? Uh, was it someone who's really stacked? It's usually either someone who's really yeah, stacked. Yeah. Or so basically, hair. you know, we've talked about this. Americans, we talked about Americans. Just they look. They some. They're on some of their profiles. They look amazing. You think, wow, how do you look like that? And um, yeah, I sent you a picture of this guy with some serious guns. He's some EM, uh, yeah, EM yeah, doctor yeah. in America, and I was like. Thrusha, I don't know what it is, but I can't look at, I can't stop looking at this guy's guns. I mean, they're just they're phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal guns. But um, is that a weird thing to do? What do you think, Ajay? Is it? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the complimenting thing is, is difficult, right? I mean, I'm, I think it's your own personal comfort. So I'm happy to compliment, uh, you know, Thrusha on the kind of reflection from his uh, magnificent dome. You know, it, it, it's great, man. But, uh, but I think we, we've mentioned this a couple of days ago, haven't we? That I think I, I find it quite sad that sometimes, um, you know, a woman on Twitter will post something, you know, that they've gone to a wedding or they're 
dressed up for the day or they just feel good about themselves that day and they've, they've posted something, right? You know, your instinct might be go, wow, you look great. That's amazing. But you then go, can I put that on Twitter? Like, because <laughs> that person might think it's great, but then, you know, Sarusha yeah. might think, oh, God, there's the lecturer Le- Le- Jay again uh, putting on his... Uh, <laughs> 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 and I understand why. I don't even have an issue why you have to be guarded, right? Because, unfortunately, men, there's a, a lot of them who go onto Twitter and social media and lecherous comments, not usually in, in the open space, but will, as I say, slide into the DMs and send some inappropriate things. And I've talked mm. to some colleagues and, and some female registrars and some of our trainees and some of the stuff they've received via text message, via social media, from consultants, from consultants who they've worked for in the past would honestly make you feel quite sick and, and quite mm. worried and... So I can understand why. I just think it's sad, though, because it'd be nice, you know, if, if I could say to someone, oh, you look great, and actually just mean it as in that picture you posted, what you're wearing that day and how you look is great, and it's just taken as that. But unfortunately, mm. because of a lot of men, we can't do that. Shame. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It's funny. I think there's there's sometimes where I guess to navigate that etiquette because there's some, you know there are people on Twitter who I consider my friends. I'll probably just like it and then won't comment. Yes. Um, although like I've got to be careful about how quickly I like it because I remember once like I was scrolling through <laughs> and Joe was sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joe was sat next to me and there was one from like Tanya and she and and I liked it straight away and Joe was like, "Oh, you like that rather quickly?" And I was like. Uh, and you know like alarm bells are like you know like, uh, quickly quick, keep, keep scrolling keep scrolling keep, find a picture of something else find a picture of an animal or something oh but you know uh, and i was just like oh change the subject oh god uh so but yeah that was... do, do you not have that, do you not have that in your twitter bio through show what does it mean like a like does not mean an endorsement right yeah yeah it's just a like it, it doesn't mean i love her that is just a like <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't cut it Ajay you should know that doesn't cut it okay. Uh, okay. I do I do that too though like there, there's certain levels of like interaction so like is like yeah baseline yeah, that's cool man what you did was quite cool and then obviously like a retweet and a DM it's like a high five. comment yeah it's like a bigger high five and a bigger high five or you know depending on what you're trying to do a bit of slap bigger slap down you know as we, we've seen a few times uh, during the week that there, there's been a few slap downs we, I mean we've had a few terrible threads haven't we I mean should we just get through those ones pretty quickly I think um, so. Yeah. We had that whole thing that happened in Trafalgar Square. Do you remember that? So Trafalgar Square, there's a big thing that went down. Uh, a whole load of anti-vaxxers got together and they said something like, we want to hang medical professionals. Yeah, like Nuremberg. Nuremberg, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, ha- I, mean I, I kind of saw that and I thought, okay, I'll carry on with my life then. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think viscerally I saw it and I went, oh, that's awful, right? And then mm. you go, okay, but... These are these are nutters, right? I mean, th- these are people who are outspoken and they go to these rallies because they want uh, oxygen for their platform. And we saw this this nurse, you know, her son, who's been on, doing interviews now for the best part of a year, or you know, since last October, and was doing the rounds this week, saying, you know, my mum's always been a conspiracy theorist for twenty odd years, and we used to try and brainwash me when I was a teenager about this and about that and, and whatever and, and she's out of control mm. and I was actually a little bit annoyed that people were retweeting it because what are you trying to prove right if, if you want to find someone to say something nasty about you there's lots of people out there you know someone mm. will say they want to kill you someone will say you're a, I want you arrested some will say I never want you to work again 
you know, you just mm. have to talk about COVID. Just, you could tweet something about COVID and vaccines and you will get a column full of replies that you'll go, okay, this is pretty negative stuff. And I kind of used that strange analogy, but I was, I was saying this to you the other day that in the 70s and 80s at football matches and cricket matches, they had a kind of an abundance of streakers. You know, they'd come on, they'd literally take their clothes mm. off, run around the pitch, to be on TV and, and to, to make a real show of themselves, right? And very mm. quickly, the TV companies realised that if we don't show them, if we turn the camera away, just show the crowd or show show the players, then these people are not seen. So the number of streakers will drop off. And, it, and it's pretty unusual now. You know, it, it's unusual to get a streaker because no one sees them. So shouldn't mm. it be the same with this? You know, you see this, someone's made a comment. Sadiq Khan quite rightly said, I've reported it to the police. And then you've got all mm. the big hitters on Med Twitter with their 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, just retweeting the hell out of it to make a point. Mm. What, what point were they making? That some people don't like what we do? Well, mm. I knew that before. and I think all of us did. So I wonder if there's a bit of responsibility there that when there is this kind of horrible view out there, that mm. we responsibly share it. Say, you know, I, I saw, you know, I, I, I'm happy to tweet. I saw the stuff. I didn't like it, and and you know, it's not great. But to kind of retweet it so everyone on, so, I mean, it was my feed was full of it for a day and a half, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Well, one of the things I found quite shocking about it was that the crowd was so big, and so. Mm. But I think you put it in perspective when you said, like, I mean, these these are still like people that you probably wouldn't encounter every day, and. Twitter just kind of like does kind of amplify it. And I did see if anyone wanted a tonic to it, there was a thread from Kate Miller who talked about how anti-vaxxers have just been there forever. They're just, they're a tale as old as time. You know, song as old as rhyme. They're just... uh... (laughs) (laughs) It's like you've taken a nice little rhyme and put it to anti-vaxxers. Thanks for that, Thrusha. Just the other thing as well, just finally on that though is most doctors aren't on twitter and most public didn't see that because it wasn't reported on bbc for a couple of days until sadi khan had reported to the police so mm. you kind of there's people on med twitter being outraged by this and, and posting the huge threads on this right and then they probably went to work and none of their colleagues had seen it and none of the patients mm. had seen it and um, mm. we are in this bubble and we've got to realize that sometimes that you know the majority of the public are not on Twitter. The majority of the public are actually pretty supportive of the NHS and then don't want mm. us to be hung. And then, or I think the yeah. term is hanged and not hung. I think there was a distinction made about that. Yeah, Twitter yeah. The, the grammar police. So, quick, yeah. quick, quick, quick. <laughs> hung something else, isn't it? Yeah, yes, yes. I think so, so Yes, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, don't, don't be coy with me, Ajay. Uh, but did you see? That, interestingly, there was something that was a bit closer to home. There was Livy Rose who was posting about how her uncle was anti-vax, and I kind of wonder because obviously I had that weird interaction with the dude in the gym changing room. I've said, mm. but you know, have you encountered many like um, anti-vax people for realses, and how have you dealt with them? I have had a few. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in this online thing called um, Team Halo, Project Halo. It's, it's a project um, by the UN and the London uh, School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And they uh, want doctors and scientists around the world to use Twitter and TikTok and Instagram to promote vaccine safety. So I've had a lot on social media, but I've had a bit in real life, you know, because I have patients with IBD and they're immunosuppressed. Every consultation with them, I've had to ask them about the COVID vaccine because they're actually a priority and they should be having it. And there was guidance that they shouldn't be waiting the 12 weeks. They should have an accelerated course to protect them. And there were a few who were just, no, uh, I'm not going to have it. Now, to be fair, they're actually polite about it. They don't want to fight with you. They just say, I don't want it. 
you know, one, one, one of my patients just said, oh, I, I don't want it. And I said, okay. I said, look, well, my formal advice is I think you should have it. But, you know, that's my advice. My, and I always say this to all my patients. My job is to advise them. I'm, I'm not their parent. I'm not their guardian. Or I, I'm, I'm an advisory person. These are my professional advice. And um, they take it and leave it and decide what to do. So it's actually been all right. Uh, so that's what mm. I think about, you know, the Twitter, the, the keyboard warriors behind their avatar and their fake name. It's actually mm. pretty toxic and vile. But there are lots of people who won't have vaccines and, you know, I've had polite discussions with them. I've not had threats of violence. I've not had insults. It probably does help them six foot five. So I've not <laughs> had too many threats of violence over most things. But I, I don't think there's been too much kind of that aggression that you see on, you know, what happened in Trafalgar Square or some of the tweets, the vile stuff that goes on. I think that is a, a special brand of, of crazy. I mean, you know, I, find, I do still find it a little bit like um, some anti-vaxxers that have, you know, certain connotations of doctors. I mean, I think doctors have a connotation of what anti-vaxxers must be like, right? So if you do meet an anti-vaxxer, you're almost like, you know, your, your mind's already going down the road of like, you, you, there's something wrong or, you know, are you sure about that? And you, are, you, are all your marbles there and all that kind of thing? I mean, just to relate to that slightly, like I remember when I was in A&E once and there was this lady that was accompanying a patient. And, um, you know, she seemed to be very involved. And at one point I was like, is she medical? Is that why she's getting so involved? I couldn't tell who she was and is she like family and stuff like that. And then eventually, like, she was asking a lot of questions now, like, you know, um, you know, I think this. And then she started saying, I think this is what's going on. I said, actually, I think this is what's going on. And she goes, oh, yeah, I knew that. You know, I, by the way, I'm a spiritual healer. So that's how I can tell all these things. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I was like, What? You know, and it was just like straight away, my mind was down that road. I'm like, okay, okay, this conversation's over. I'm not going to engage with you much more because I find you, I find this whole thing really weird. But now I look back, like maybe I shouldn't have been that weird about it. Like people have their views. Like, so what? You know, like she was a spiritual healer. What's interesting is um, this happens a lot with my IBD patients, right? People go, I don't like taking medication. Now, if they've got IBS, that's fine because it's a functional disorder. So, it can be managed with non-pharma ways. But if you've got inflammatory bowel mm. disease and you need immunosuppression, when someone mm. goes to you, well, I don't believe in medication, you know, so mm. I usually ask, when it, either with anti-vaxxers or, or with people who are refusing to believe modern medicine, you know, I would say my job's advisory, but I'll ask them, I'll just say, why do you think that? And then mm. if, if it's gone off at a tangent where I can't, you know, we can't meet at a point of even agree to disagree, I'll just say, well, look, my advice is this end of story but you know you need to do what you think is right for yourself yeah. but yeah it's, you know, it's not just vaccine just everything there's a huge cynical base of people out there who don't believe in medicine don't believe we're just out to harm people yeah mm. i mean sometimes when you get that feeling you just want spiritual healing <laughs> <laughs> you just want to sing today, Trisha. What is going on? Oh, Makes you feel so fine. <laughs> what, what was in that glass you were drinking, lad? Oh, wow. He's yeah. really gone for it today. One and done. One and done, honey. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, you know, like sometimes though, like, you know, when you do you feel like you're you're a bit of a failure? Like, you know, if you if you're trying to get someone, you're trying to give good advice, what you think is good advice to someone and you're saying, listen, you know, I think this is the right thing for you. Um, I think you should have this. And the patient's like, you know what? No, I don't want it. You, do you feel like you've, you've let yourself down? You let your team down? Do you feel like less of a doctor? Yeah, is that what you feel like? I don't think so, Imran. I'll tell you why. Mm. You know, we deal with patients who are addicts, you know, alcohol 
uh, and my patients who have IBD, smoking. You know, smoking is a real uh, horrible, the worst thing you can do if you've got Crohn's disease. Right? And mm. some people, I'll tell them that once. I'll go, you know, smoking is like petrol to Crohn's disease. You mustn't do it. And they'll stop. And I'll mm. just go, yeah, I, I heard you say that. I hate my Crohn's disease. I've given it up. But I've got patients who I've looked after for five years who've never stopped smoking. And I have the same discussion each time. I'll go, well, look, my advice is, again, I'm reiterating you, please try and stop smoking. But I know full well, and they know full well, that the next time they, they, they come, they'll have that. And I used to get a bit, you know, passionate about it. I had, I've got um, a lovely lady patient, and her husband attended for the first time with her a few years ago. And mm. she, she smoked, and she's got Crohn's disease, and her husband smoked. And I, I always say the same thing. I say, look, the only way it's going to work is if you both stop smoking, right? So I said, mm. you know, you definitely need to stop smoking. I said to the, the lady, because she's got Crohn's disease, but I said to her husband, you know, if you really want to help her, you should stop as well. So he's never come mm. back to the appointment. And when his, <laughs> uh, when she when she came no. back next time, I said, oh, your husband's not here today. And he goes, yeah, he didn't want to talk to you because he didn't like your anti-smoking chat and he knows you've got a lecture and so he, he, he hasn't come back since. And she thinks mm. it's quite funny. And you're like, fine. And alcohol, I mean, we've got, patients who die from alcoholism is pretty tragic and you know mm. we all say the same thing please stop drinking or you'll end up in a box you know it's pretty grim stuff but mm. you know it's an addiction right so yeah. you do what you can but yeah. what can you in the end it, it's you can only help people who want to be helped number one and and number mm. two you know your advisor that's it you pay mm. to advise give your advice and walk away you know, I, I kind of paraphrase it. I literally say, I hate talking about smoking. I hate it. You know, I, I don't like that people think that I'm giving a hard time about it. But I have to tell you that like, smoking is one of the strongest mis risk factors for coronary disease. And sometimes, and the reason why I'm saying it now, uh, even though I hate saying it, is because I've seen uh, where other colleagues haven't mentioned it because it can be a really thorny subject. And then people have said, well, that your colleague didn't say anything about smoking. So by not saying it almost sometimes, that's almost like you're, you're saying that you kind of mm. don't think it's a problem. So I say it and I say, but you know, I hate talking about it because I know that it's really horrible and really hard to give up and stuff. But like, if I didn't tell you, then I'd be doing you a disservice. And I do this kind of little each time. Yeah, I sometimes say to them as well. I say, look, I know it's easy for me to say because I'm a non-smoker. I, I, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm saying this because it's my job. But you're mm. right. You, you kind of you have to broach it. And I, there's all these targets now. We're supposed to work on smoking and alcohol kind of reduction, even if it's not relevant to their presentation, if they come to hospital. So. Yeah, so it's a sequin, isn't it? Is it a sequin? I don't know. But, but it's something we need to do. I mean, listening to this stuff, I mean, it makes me feel like, oh, it's a good thing I'm doing radiology, mate. I mean, yeah, there, are, <laughs> yeah. there, are, there are no conversations about smoking. Like, their lungs look like they do, and it's up to you. You've got to do did, what you've got you to do. Did you not ask that uh, pregnant patient who's in labour about their smoking and drinking habits? <laughs> <laughs> no, if you remember correctly, I was trying to get them out as quickly as possible. There's yeah, too much like, conversation. Where are the brakes <laughs> on this wheelchair? <laughs> you, you weren't giving them a, a quit-it leaflet as they were walking out the door? No, 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 I, no, I think, no. I think, I think so, you know, yeah, I just, I just don't know, no. No, thank you. But this is the thing. Like, um, does that make me less of a doctor? Does that make me a non, a not a real doctor? I mean, oh. because you know, when you're thinking about being a doctor, when you're going to medical school, you're thinking to yourself, you're talking to patients, or maybe you're seeing that ER doctor running in and doing a thoracotomy, and also doing the angioplasty, <laughs> and also doing the ultrasound, and you know, Carl Kennedy, who seems to be doing the gynae surgeries, and also being the GP. Brilliant. Is that what yeah, a real doctor is? Really. 
<laughs> yeah do you remember carl as in yeah. i didn't even bat an eyelid when i was younger but like, oh cool i mean that's what doctors do they just do a bit of everything you know but you know do you remember um dr quinn medicine woman do you remember oh her? She, yeah she she literally did neurosurgery at one point in that show i used to love that show and did she um, also fly a plane or was, did someone else fly the plane for her i can't remember oh, i don't know you probably think about something like macgyver i mean she was like the macgyver of medicine did you ever used to watch house uh, i never really got into house i never got into house yeah so his team, he had like four or five, I don't know what they were, registrars or residents. Mm. And they did everything, you know, whether it was an angioplasty, <laughs> whether it was surgery, whether it was an endoscopy, they just did the lot. And you think, mm. yeah, that, that, that doesn't feel right, you know, that one day you're doing uh, you know, a coronary angioplasty, the next minute you're doing a colonoscopy. I'm telling you that those people don't do the same things. but uh, yeah. Very <laughs> different lumens. Yeah, different, yeah, very different, different lumens. Yeah, so um, I, I said to you the day, I, I think... Uh, for me, being a doctor is, is the kind of patience, isn't it? They're, they're kind of their journeys, you know? So I, mm. now I'm past five years, six years, I've got patients who I've met six years ago and you kind of, as well as getting them better, you see their transition in life as they get married mm. or have kids or retire or go on holiday. And I like to make little notes in my notes, you know, going on holiday or due their second child at this time. And so as well as next time I see them, ask them, how are you, how's your Crohn's disease or... You know, mm. how, how have you been with your abdominal pain? And go and, and you know, um, have you had, have, you know, you, you gave birth a few weeks ago. How's that been? And, and what's the name of your child and stuff like that? So mm. I, I kind of take joy out of that. But I don't know, does everyone, that's what I've taken of it. I, I, I don't have the answer. I think that's an unanswerable Imran. I mean, where, when did you feel like a real doctor? I mean, that's, that's one of the big questions that came up yeah, on Twitter. Like, when did you suddenly mm. think to yourself, you know what, I'm a doc. I've made it. I'm a doctor. I actually feel like a doctor. Jesus, gosh. That's a it's deep a tough question, one, man. It? It's a deep um, one, isn't it? Like, Because, you know, you, you when you finish medical school, you're like, I don't know anything. You, you get to CT or CMT or, you know, registrar years, and you're like, oh, I still don't know anything. I don't really feel like I'm a doctor. I mean, it's a whole imposter syndrome. But when did you really think, like, you know what? I'm comfortable with having that DR in front of my name. Yeah, I'm a doc. Do you think that, uh, you know, the the ER things and the saving lives things, do you know, because you talk to, I remember when I was a student, I talked to a consultant psychiatrist um, and mm. she was doing kind of dementia type stuff. She goes, you know, I really enjoyed doing medicine as an SHO because I wanted the diagnosis. I wanted to make diagnosis. I wanted to make people better. She goes, but once I got that, I then wanted to look at this field because this stuff interested me. Mm. I, did, I did ED in Australia as a, um, what would be an FY2 I, did, I went to Australia for a year which is amazing and I did mm. loads of ED and ITU and I, I kind of got all that you know the reducing shoulders and, and you know stitching wounds and, and doing trauma calls and you know being there when someone's ventilated and, and you know so I, maybe I got a lot of that from there but it is mm. different what a doctor is now for me you know managing chronic patients as opposed to the the thrill of being in recess at 1am and a trauma call going into I don't know, maybe people need it, need that to convince themselves they're doing something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've said this before, like I, I, in truth, I don't really feel like a real doctor anymore because um, I'm looking at pictures all day. It doesn't feel like the same thing. Like even the other day, my father-in-law, he was saying to me, and because a few times I've asked me about medical stuff, I, I, don't, I don't prescribe medicines. Like, oh, okay. Okay. And they'll ask me about <laughs> things like, like I, you know, I'm, I'm not really involved in that thing. I can't really do that. And then I think the other day he's like, oh, you know, you can help me. You can help me. I'm, uh, you know, I was talking about a scan. I said, like, oh, scans. Yeah, man, I can talk about scans. Yeah, what scan are we talking about? He goes, you know, the one over the heart. And I was like, oh, for <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, when he told me, yeah, and then when I told him, no, I'm sorry, I'm not. And he goes, 
what are you useful for? <laughs> what is it that you actually do? Like, what is it? <laughs> you're like, bro, can yeah. you lift? How much can you bench? Yeah, exactly. I said this to you the day, right? Do you not think, like, you're a go-to for someone, yeah? So there will be consultants who go, oh, I need this reporting. We're going to go to Imran. Dr. Lasko is my man. Yeah, I try, I try and avoid that situation, but it's happening well, these but there days, is, yeah. I'm sure there's at least one consultant who, it's, you know, they've got your your light goes out with the L, you know, and you answer the call oh, and you go, yep, I'll report your scan. That's my job. I'm happy to do that. Who is that team that does it? Yeah, man, I don't know. I, I do try and avoid that, but I've, yeah, I've, I have noticed the emails. You know, sometimes you get the emails from people like, can you have another look at this? Or I, I would like to get your opinion. And I assume it goes to everyone in the department. And I realize, oh, hang on. Oh, I should have answered that a while ago. That's to me and me only. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, you know, like uh, what, one of the, I mean, one of the things I wanted to lead on to actually was um, you know that feeling of being a, re- a real doctor. You know, and you, when you're on call and stuff, you're already feeling a bit like you're not really there. You know, you know, you don't really know what's going on. It feels like survival. I just need to get through this night shift, make sure everyone's unscathed, and then you think to yourself, "Oh, something's something's quite big here." I'm going to have to call my consultant. Now, is that a sign of weakness? Calling your consultant in the middle of the night? <laughs> is that something that we... Because that came up, didn't it? Like, is that a sign of weakness or is it just a sign of a rubbish shift? Which one is it? Because I know that when I was a young a young trainee, I was told by the consultant on the way out sometimes, hey, Imran, uh, I'm on call tonight, so I'm not expecting any calls tonight. Okay? And you think, oh, yeah, gotcha. No worries. I'll do my best, you know, and... Yeah, it just kind of get, it already set a precedence of you know what that shift is going to be like. Don't expect help unless. I bet if you call that person out on it, they'd be like, "Oh, I was joking or something." But actually, yeah, yeah, you like, know, but it's enough. Mm. The implication is there. You know, it? it's they're not saying it, but they're saying it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's there. I think but the, you know. the tweet was um, a good a good doctor, a good registrar doesn't need to call their consultant overnight, right? And on some yeah. level, they're might be a bit of truth in that that you know someone of a certain competence can manage most things but to say don't call me or shouldn't be calling a consultant is dangerous right because there is Mm. times where you need to call the consultant whether it's because something that consultant needs to be aware or whether you just need you know i mean i was a med reg for years right and we've you know it wasn't like a never event you you didn't want to call the consultant but there were times where you had to right i Mm. I remember thrombolizing a PE at one in the morning from a ward patient who was sick as a dog. And I was just going to go and do it, right? And uh, the consultant radio was just going, you know, what does your consultant think? And I'm like, mm. well, I'm going to make a decision. We need to do this. But I did run it by them, even though it was two in the morning, because this was like a big mm. case, right? And, and I've got no beef from that. And, you know, I, I, I do think it's worrying when that is portrayed, you know, that leaving the door and the consultant going, I'm not expecting a call tonight. That is dangerous, isn't it? Because there may be mm. something that is a critical, and that's the same consultant who buries you, right? Who will just go, yeah, you didn't call me about this, did you? You know, this case mm. now that there's a complaint about, and now we're going to coroners, why didn't you call me? You know, mm. and, and that's the, it's not good. I mean, I, I, I'm consultant on call for when I do medicine. I very rarely get called, but I then realize that if I am getting called, I try and be as calm as and, and polite as possible because I know most 99% of med regs do not want to call me. They don't want to call any mm. consultant. They just want to get on with their shift, get through it, and not have to pick up the phone and call someone and wake them up. So if they've crossed that threshold that they feel they need to do it, mm. then at least listen to the call. 
There's that tweet by Ben Besco. I think he calls a consultant out of hours, like at three or four in the morning, and the consultant's like next to their partner, and the partner says, "Oh, what time is it?" And then Ben replies, "Oh, it's four a.m." And then the consultant's like, "She wasn't asking you." <laughs> <laughs> That would be funny. This is a serious thing because, like, um, you know, I, 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 I say this so, like, um, I, whether the connotations of this is another thing altogether, but um, I, I ended up going to coroner's court. So it was a scan, and I was fairly junior, and I didn't recognize some of the signs of ischemic bowel, uh, you know, and hands, hands up, I, I didn't, I missed it. But the, the patient was already quite far gone, and actually, when we went to coroner's court, it turned out it was like a Swiss cheese effect like anything that could have happened happened. Like there were changeovers, there was someone coming back from leave, someone you know who didn't quite give the handover, some something being missed because like they were literally in the middle of a procedure and then they got called and they got you know they got tried, never documented a procedure and all this kind of thing. But when I had to go up, the one of the questions they asked me is first of all, are you able to contact the consultant or out, or out of hours? Like, yes, and, and then they said, how do you feel about contacting the consultant of our out of hours? And that question, you know, you could tell straight away because if I said, uh, I'm not comfortable, to, you know, calling them. Then there are kind of they're going to have to look into why. What's going on? Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? This junior feeling that they can't call that consultant when they're available. There's something else going on here, and that's how I think you know people who who do that don't realise the implications that can happen. Like if you know if it was the case that the reg was brave enough to say that you know what I felt that that consultant is a difficult person to get hold of, or I've contacted them a few times they've been very mean about it, so I don't feel like contacting them. Then the onus actually goes on to consultant that why you like your your job is to be contactable, your job is to be available, and your job is to be approachable in these situations. You need to be able to be available. And um, uh, to any junior out there, I would say that you know call them. I mean that's yeah. what that's I what mean, they're for. What's they're paid for it. Is- yeah. ITU, obstetrics, surgery—it's the norm, right? You know, you mm. don't you don't have any ITU admission without the boss knowing. Obstetrics—you know, you're an obstetric unit. The consult—I mean, they have consultants out of some re- resident for gynae units uh, for obstetrics mm. units, and in surgery, you know, you're not going to take a patient to theatre unless the boss goes, "Yeah, take them to theatre," or "I'm coming in to do this with you." So, mm. I don't, it, medicine—it's an issue, I think, in in some some. You know, whether it's a general take, uh, it sounds like it might be the odd issue occasionally in radiology. But mm. it, if other specialties are doing it, then you're even more vulnerable, aren't you? Because imagine there was a care involving ITU, and the ITU consultant knows, but the general medical consultant doesn't know, and the consultant radiologist mm. doesn't know about this complex case. Then you're kind mm. of buried, aren't you? Because they'll go, okay, well, if the, the anesthetist registrar called thought to call their boss, why didn't you call your boss and, and get their mm. view? So I agree. And look, in the end, consultant might be grumpy on the phone, their wife might be grumpy, or their husband might be grumpy, especially if you tell them what time it is. But <laughs> the, the truth is that, you know what, if you're getting bowled out for that, then, you know, I, I don't think that would actually happen. Even with, there's grumpiness, there's stress, there might even be the question, you know, I don't think you need to call me, but I don't think it'd be beyond that. And if you can, you know, if you feel you need to call, just call, the, the, you know, it's the right thing to do. One of the guys I used to end up having to call, his question to me throughout my time of being a registrar at this place was, what level are you at again? <laughs> and it's like, come on, man. I've been here for so long. You know this answer. What level are you in again? Are you again? And it's like, yeah, I know what you're saying. And I get it. And I have to take that every single time. Um, yeah, I mean, I just understand there's subtle ways of 
not being yeah yeah that leads on yeah. quite nicely to this other um so there was this thread there was um from an acp who kind of uh basically was trying to make a referral and then um the doctor allied that, care professional isn't it yeah, acp yeah allied sorry care yeah, allied, yeah, yeah yeah so like it makes me think of physicians associates but um i think i guess there's mm. going to be other terms right but um mm. yeah so they noticed that twice in two days a specific doctor had refused to even discuss a case with them because they're an acp mm. and um mm. it obviously felt quite upset about it and this that thread really did some numbers didn't it there were some interesting mm. replies i mean there's a particularly didn't it Mm. Yeah, to tell because someone mm. uh, chucked in the the GMC bomb. Oh yes, there's a GMC. GMC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good word for a GMC bomb. That's what I mean. That's one way to end a end a conversation very quickly. Isn't it got it? very yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind yeah. of that person didn't really seem to kind of really care, or maybe uh, to begin with, I was like, I'm not sure if they understand the gravitas of it. But then obviously, See, that person's not a doctor. I think it was just some kind of legal person. So from his point of view, it's your regulator, mm. right? And and it's mm. a bit like Datex and GMC referrals are being weaponized, right? But actually, a Datex mm. is a reporting tool, and you can be referred to the GMC for anything. And actually, with my RCP hat on, so I'm the chair of the new consultants committee at the Royal College, and I interviewed Charlie Massey from the GMC mm. as for commentary, the the kind of their the magazine that they publish articles in. And actually, mm. they, they're more aware of this uh, than you think. They know because you can actually, as a patient or, or a, uh, a layperson, just go on to GMC and report someone online on, on, on mm. a web form. And I actually mm. said to Charlie Massey, I said, look, uh, uh, that's too easy. Surely someone should request a pack. It's posted out to them. And then mm. it, they have to put it in writing. And that gives them a couple of days to think, are they doing the right thing? And he said, no, no, no. I, I know why you're saying that. And he goes, no, we want to make it easy because we don't want it to be a barrier, but mm. we're going to get better at knocking them away. He goes, we're not going to launch investigations of the stupid things and stuff like that. But I think our fears as doctors are we we all, you know, it's not a personal thing. It's not like, oh, I've been uh, screwed over by a GMC eight times. It's just you hear of the stories, you know, Hadiza mm. Bawagaba and, and other people who've had the, the kind of uh, short short end of the wedge. And, and it is a weapon, and, and it's a, I don't know, I, I think we need to get better understanding it, but also it is, but I, I didn't even engage with that, because as soon as I saw the GMC, I thought, oh, this is only going south, isn't it, this this whole mm. discussion. I just, I feel like that with all the money that goes to the GMC, like, they have to go on, like, a hardcore, like, a mission to kind of, like, uh, repair their relationship with, with us. Like, because mm. we, we don't, they're regulators, but, you know, they kind of like frame themselves as this kind of like supportive like body, but they're not, are they? And if they want to change, I mean, that sounds really good. Like if they are going to bat things out, because, you know, I have seen uh, like colleagues who've had like completely spurious kind of stuff, uh, like stuff go to the GMC and it's been, it's dragged on for like, for so one colleague, it went for like a year, 18 months, it stressed out of her mm. mind about it. Like, yeah. you know, that hanging, mm. you know, for a job that she'd done 18 months ago and well moved on with her training. And it was just kind of hanging over her. And like, you know, if they're going to do that, then at least they should come. They, they should be saying it to you. They should be putting it out there. Like, you know, we know that there are people who've committed suicide who are under investigation. We know that we've been seen as like a formidable, a formidable uh, kind of shadow on people's career in the past. And we want to change that. And this is what we're doing. Like, mm. they should show the machinations because that would make a massive difference, even if the change hasn't all like, occurred. They, rec they have some mm. insight into like the effect that they have. 
Um, because mm. at the moment, it doesn't so seem I, I was hearing uh, through Sher that they've um, stopped sending out um, documents at the end of the week so that no one gets them on a Friday or a Saturday. So the GMC are, are really aware that a Friday evening letter when you get home from work and you're off the weekend is mind-blowingly difficult to handle. So they've actually tried mm. to address that. And they've said, look, we're not posting things out on a Wednesday or a Thursday because we don't want people, you know, it can wait till next week. But you're right. I, you know, the truth's somewhere in the middle. I think also us as colleagues are right. I mean, I've had stuff with the GMC, other people have. I think we also need to tell our colleagues who are training and our colleagues who haven't had GMC stuff about what's happened. Maybe this is something we could do on social media, right? We're, everyone's very keen to post when their paper's been published or when they've been promoted. But maybe it is that, you know, I, I dealt with the GMC at this time. This is what happened. And it wasn't that bad. Or if there were mm. bad things, then we'd post that. I, I think you're right, Sarusha. There's a lot. The regulator doesn't have a good um, kind of, we don't have a good view of our regulator, which isn't great. You know, we should have faith in our regulator. We spend a lot of money on them, but we don't. I agree. I mean, you know, with the, the whole idea of like having a pack sent out to the patient, I, I can see where they're coming from in terms of trying to make it easy. I mean, have you ever tried to get a refund and they try and get you to, yeah. to fill out all this paperwork yeah. and you've got to fill yeah. out this form yeah. and he's like, after a while, you know what, mate, to forget your refund, to keep your money and go. So I, I get that. But then also by making it almost too easy, you start to get ridiculous things come through. And I don't so, know how they're going to deal with that. I haven't seen sounds, the data, Imran, but Charlie Massey was very clear that they are going to try and filter a lot more so they've got these template letters out and when they look at it if it's pretty spurious stuff you know this person said this or this person was was annoying or was rude to me they have a standard template like we remind the person of their responsibilities as a doctor end of story and then close it off so they are trying to do that but obviously the fact that you both of you don't know about it and i only know about it because i interviewed the you know the ceo means obviously their their comms hasn't got it out there and i agree i think they should go on a drive and make sure all doctors are aware what they're trying to do and how they improve things because in the end then i would be happy for someone if i had faith in the gmc i'd be happy for someone to go yeah please complain to the gmc that's my regulator if you feel i need that at the moment it's a weapon and i feel very uncomfortable if someone goes i've got to report to the gmc yeah, mm. that's why I feel a bit better about pals because, I mean, like if you, you know, if if someone's kind of seen as dissatisfied, I say, oh, you know, cut up pals because you know what? Mm. Uh, we're certainly in the place that I work at the moment. Like the people who work in pals are always just love lovely. I've always found anyway. Mm. They've always been like really like sympathetic and quite, uh, you know, generally quite nice. Um, so yeah. I, think- I never thought of that actually. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do with Trushidas. I put a lot of people through PALS. I'll go, if you're unhappy, go to PALS. That's what their job is. And we can, especially if they complain about a colleague, you know, if, if they complain about another department, I'll often go, look, I wasn't involved in the care, but I'm sorry on behalf of the hospital that you've had a really rubbish time. So mm-hmm. I hope, you know, if I can find out something, I will. And if they're still mm-hmm. unhappy and they're going, you know what, that doctor, that cardiologist was a real, you know, I'm sorry, mm. I'm picking on cardiologists through shit. But then the end, I will go. You know, you can't. You can go to pals, and it's not as weaponized because actually pals just send the information out and they give you a right to answer. So if mm. if if, so, if I get an email, it's from pals. I don't feel that heart sink. I'll go. Okay, let me look at it, see what it is, and often mm. it's something. You it's know, it's so true. It's so true because you know, like even when you're you're training. You, you you go through that training to say that, you know, if you've got an issue, you can talk to pals and you've got no issue with saying that, but you're never going to say, you know what, you, if GMC. you've got an issue with me, you could go to the GMC. Here's my home address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, actually that reminds me when I was in, in A&E, there was, um, there was a kid and he was like jumping up and down on a cot and then he jumped and hit his tooth 
on the cot and the tooth actually went inwards it actually went right up oh. i was I, I didn't know that could happen i was like what Jesus. and then i looked and you could see the tooth like in there and i was like oh god that, that's pretty that looks pretty grim doesn't it so then i, I called up Maxfax straight away and Maxfax said look i know it looks bad it's not that but we'll we see them in a, in a day or two and you know we'll, we'll deal with it don't worry about it just give them tell them to come to this address at this time and we'll we'll see them we've got their details okay fine so when i went to, the, to see the parents and then um, the, I said, look, you know, you're, this is what Max Fax have said. And they were like having a massive go at me. Like, who do you think you are? You know, you're a Boy Scout. You don't know what you're doing. You know, our kid's in pain. But actually, the kid wasn't in pain. He was running around and like rolling around on the floor. And I, you know, I, me being me, I thought I could just point to the guy. He doesn't look like he's in pain. But I thought, Imran, don't, don't say anything. They're obviously quite aggravated. <laughs> so I, I was pretty smart at that time. I, thought, I ain't going to say anything. I just kept quiet. Yeah. I kept quiet. And, you know, in the corner of my eye, I'm watching this kid, like he's playing and throwing toys around <laughs> and going, with his broken tooth. And then, um, you know, after a while, the parents were like, okay, I want your name. And I was like, all right. I mean, yeah, I can give you my name. And then, then straight away into med school, like, okay, if you've got a complaint, you can go to PALS, no worries. And I was so comfortable doing it. And it was even better because I've got a really long name. You remember, <laughs> I've got a really, really long name. It was so funny watching them trying to like oh, yeah, repeat yeah. that. Well, sorry, what was that bit? Sorry, what was that bit? You know, how do you spell that? And you could see that there, there was a scribbles all over the place after a while. And you know, that, this complaint going nowhere, mate. Um, <laughs> But did it doesn't make your name. Did you give it someone else's name? Uh, I gave Tarusha's name. Yeah, I've been yeah, doing yeah. it since forever. <laughs> to this day, they're still writing it down. They haven't finished. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's it's amazing. I never thought of that. But yeah, you're much more comfortable with powers than you are with the GMC. GMC, you get involved and you're like, oh, great. I'm done. I'm yeah, done. Yeah. This is over. I'm finished. Um, I mean, speaking of being finished, is it? I mean, how are we doing? I think we've reached one hour fifteen minutes. Yeah, we I mean, are. We've. I just still got so many things to talk so about. Yeah, I go, just go there was that thread from Rohin, which I thought was. Oh, so we mm. mentioned him twice. Oh my god! Um, Another cardiologist. Know, Here we go. Yeah, go I know. Then. We've got go to. You know, we've got to represent. Politics. You know, because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, mm. he was talking about how it's just really interesting about how you know when you start medical school and you talk about all of these kind of interests where you talk about the things that you kind of you want to achieve from your career like I want to have lots of publications I want to have a, a career mm. that's in, involved in academia and all this kind of you know <laughs> where you see yourself in 10 years time is all this kind of like nonsense and then he was like yeah. actually he, he kind of was referencing uh, that uh, the eye doctor Glaucon Fleck and Will Flannery that I say. Mm. He, and he was talking about yeah. how actually in his life he enjoys the fact that he does private work he works nine to five he spends time with his children and a lot of the time he spends kind of thinking about his next tiktok video and how <laughs> it kind of was like a kind of relief in a way that that's what his life's like like he enjoys he's happy with how life is but how we can't perhaps be more honest about that when we start out could you imagine saying that at a job interview? yeah um, i like to get to tiktok, I like TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean why don't you check out my tiktok i'll give you a few good ones i had a few views you might like it i don't know see what you think i, I think uh, on top of that yeah. the there's a mention that also the messages glaucon fleck and will post out are really kind of important because uh, they mm. are i mean like he does a lot of humor but he, his stuff about the insurance stuff in the US or mm. how different specialties mm. relate. We all kind of laugh, but we laugh a little bit on the wrong side to go, yeah, there's a lot of truth in that about surgery <laughs> or about anesthetics or about... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we, we're saying this, right? You know, you go to interviews and then you will go, yeah, I, w I want an academic career. I want a teaching career. And actually, I, 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 I did... Um, uh, a few years now I've been doing CMT interviews 
And um, mm. the first year I did it, I was blown away by the standard. You know, everyone's done their audit. Everyone's got all their mm. exams. Everyone's, you know, working really hard. You know, they've got an immaculate portfolio. And there's one station where you view the portfolio, right? And you've got mm. 10 minutes to do it. And in the first kind of, uh, you look at the audit, make sure they've done their audit. Yep. There's a summary. Yep. Have they done this? Yep. Mm. Have they got the exam yet? Have they, you know, fine. Have they got their foundation come to the center? Fine. So once you've done mm. that, you start to go in the kind of, personal section and that's where the joy mm. is you know we've mm. had someone who was a parkour champion someone who went to the world memory championship wow. someone who speaks japanese and, and you think mm. wow well, that's actually what i want to ask you about and maybe that is mm. the truth you know when when you interview a colleague right mm. actually most people can do the job like they may not be the most uh kind of uh diligent at it or they might not be the most enthusiastic but most people can do the job so actually, the mm. kind of as long as they've got the quals and they've got some documentation, you have to take mm. that as on face value. But isn't it nice to mm. know what they're interested in? You know, if someone goes, mm. you know, I, I I do podcasts. I, I like to talk about <laughs> difficult things. I, mm. I like to I like humour. I like comedy. I like travelling. I'm more interested in that, right? Because if I've got a colleague I'm going to work for over ten years, you know, yeah. I I can talk to any colleague about IBD. But it'd be nice if I'm having a rough day, I can go and sit in their office and we can debrief and talk about other things, talk about kids, talk about football, talk about bits and bobs. And I said this to you the other day, you know, there's some people quite sniffy about me using social media. You know, you'll get the odd mm. comment. Someone will go, someone will go, oh, Jay, how are you doing? And someone else in the room will go, just look on social media. You can see it on his Twitter feed. He'll tell mm. you. But mm. I, 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 I don't care. I mean, in the end, it, it's me. And, and it kind of ties up what we said at the beginning, you know, I'd rather know what the person's like. So I, I'd rather it was a bit more honest. And, and you know, Will Flannery is great, isn't he? I mean, I, you know, yeah. my, my life yeah, ambition yeah, is to get a follow from him because he's amazing. But, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. it's, our, it's our life ambition to have him on the show one yeah. of these days. If, you want, yeah, if anyone wants to retweet awesome. that, then please please do do so. Um, we've been trying to get his attention for a while. But no, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's strange. Like um, we've talked about this before, like how research has a very, you know, like when a certain newish, you know, subspecialties, they'll talk about, oh, we're getting there with research. Research is, is coming into it. It's like, oh, that's what we all really want, is it? You know, like, um, is that what we're really kind of getting for? But you're right. Like if you're going to spend your time, you know, a, a few years training someone or working with someone, you want to know what they're really like. And actually in the most recent newsletter that I did I did talk about the idea that your when I first started training someone said to me your interview's already started you know what are you talking about like my interview would be like six five years five six years ago which actually was a bit longer than that because a few different factors but it, it you know it was a few years away but the point was is that depending on what kind of registrar you are mm. someone's going to make that phone call to someone that that works with you or knows you and say, what's this person like? Can we have them in the department? Are they going to be all right? Are they? Going, are we going to, be able to work with them? And when I when I was going to do the visit, I like I was literally two days. I, I kind of even contacted the place. I was going to visit in two days, and they already knew about me. I knew they. I knew they already asked about me because someone else told me they'd asked about me. They were asking about me and stuff. And just goes to show you what's what's really important here is was it the publications? Yeah. Not really. No, it didn't no, make absolutely. that much of a difference in the end. You know, all that time, all those evenings. You know, yeah, I've got registrars point? who go through training. And mm. most of them can do the job. And, and mm. the kind of two key determinants. One is how diligent they are, because some do the job but are not as diligent. As that makes me worry because they might miss things in difficult cases. And mm. also, are they a decent person? Are they kind? Are they helpful? Are they a team player? I don't mean doing all the dirty work. I just mean 
is that someone, when I'm doing a list with them, I can also enjoy their company. Now, some people mm. go, why does that matter? I think mm. it does matter, right? I mean, working mm. in hospital, working wherever you work, is pretty stressful. You know, if Bruce mm. is in the cath lab till 8 p.m., you don't want to be working with a load of people who you just don't can't stand away from Absolutely. your mm. procedures. So mm. I, I think it really is important. I actually go as far to say encourage the, everybody, you know, develop your personality. Don't, don't well, be afraid of it. You know, talk about the stuff you do. It's fine. Mm. That's what I tell juniors about when they're trying to choose their specialty. Is I'm like, look at look at the kind of registrars and consultants and their personality types. Like, because those are going to be people you're going to be sharing an office with, or going to conferences yeah. with, or sitting next to in the MDTs. And if you think they're all annoying, then well, I mean, that's going to be the that's going to be the rest of your life. You're going to be sat next to those people. You don't have a choice. So um, you know, really think really hard about Pretty that. Sure, is that your pet talk for uh, cardiology? Cardiology registrar. <laughs> yeah, it puts everyone off. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah. see you later. I, oh, I, I think, think about the money. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I could do that. I mean, most people have negative experience of radiology, don't they? Right. They're like, think about the kind of person well, you want to be. Do you want to be the person that says no? <laughs> Well, it's funny because I was giving this pep talk to this uh, to this F1 who was saying she wanted to do cardiology and I was like straight in there like, oh yeah, you know, you should do this and you should do this. Why don't you like, uh, here's my email. And then this guy goes like, look at, look at him. He's lost all his head. Do you want to be like that guy? And I was like. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. That's brutal, man. Yeah. That's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah. Come on, yeah, come on. <laughs> that ain't cool, dude. Yeah, You'd be like, bruv, what? Yeah, Why? Exactly. Why? Maybe we should bring it back. <laughs> Maybe we, we can do this as well, bring it back. You know, we talked about right. Bring back my hair. Personality is fun. Well, not just your hair. I'll do it for you one day. Personality, too, right? What? I, I, I like personality. I want to I wanna be able to hear about someone's random stuff. I've got a colleague who started to keep bees. I don't know any other person who keeps bees. He's only done it for a mm. year. He shows us photos. I haven't got a clue what <laughs> I'm looking at. Mm. But wow, I think, mm. gosh, you know, this guy's just turned 50 and he's going, I'm going to be a beekeeper. And you go, yeah. wow, pretty cool, kick-ass. He's a consultant gastroenterologist and, and a beekeeper. Good good for him. And yeah. it's interesting, right? You know, Because then I'll talk to him. I'll go, oh, I'm dealing with this case. And what do you think of this meeting? And I'll go, how, how are your kids? How are you? Oh, tell me. And he'll go, oh, yeah. But I was dealing with the bees on the, on the weekend. Interesting. It's just interesting. It's good. Personality. Mm. Actually, just my dad, he keeps bees. And uh, my, he, does? he keeps bees, yeah, yeah. It's really, really weird. When he retired, he was yeah. like, I'll keep bees. And he goes, because, in London. mate, apparently because it, in, in urban environments, the honey tastes better because there's lots of different types of flowers. Because, you know, in an urban, oh, like people have pollution. loads of different plants. Yeah, and it tastes really nice. Okay. And so, like, uh, you know, one of my consultants who did his angioplasty. Every, every time my dad's... Really no, it's true. And I, <laughs> next time I see you, I'll give you a jar of honey. Every time my dad yes. sees me, he gives me a jar of honey and says, yes. give this to a consultant. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Mm. But yeah, he keeps bees, my dad. My dad was like, oh, and I asked him why. He's like, oh, yeah, because, you know, the bees in Sri Lanka, they get sleepy. They're a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know why this reminds me can I tell you a weird story not quite related to it, but it was to do with honey right. it, it just reminded me of this completely I don't know why so I was uh, I was working somewhere and this patient turned up and he was a really big lad really big lad not like the kind of do you lift bruv it was just big All right. and um he, uh, he, I mean you know but he had this kind of solitary lump on his shoulder right. solitary lump so it's not his he was like, okay no, well, this is where I'm going with oh, it. Yeah. So I, I went to I went to scan him, and it was a lipoma. It was a lipoma, oh, right. and I said to him, "Look, you know, how long have you had that for?" He goes, "Quite a while." I was like, "What did you think it was?" I thought it was my deltoid. <laughs> 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 
Bill's one side. And I say, what? Was it his right what arm? What planet are you on? Like, the, well, okay, yeah, exactly. His right arm was particularly deltoid strong. But I was a bit like, I was baffled. Oh, this guy's a bit odd. Like, he's never, you know, and, you know, why would his one deltoid be so circular? Has he never seen what a deltoid looks like? Have you never seen a body? You know, what I said, okay, fine. I'm not going to make a video. Whatever. So I sat down and said, listen, don't worry about it, but it's quite large. We do need to look into it a little bit more. I'm going to write your report right now. So I sat down and this old guy, kind of, I didn't even notice the old guy. This old guy sat next to me, kind of kind of sat next to me, rolled up his chair next to me. He goes, excuse me, doc. And I was like, go on, what? Uh, and I was like, oh, maybe you're the dad or something. I didn't notice you. Oops, you know, I should have been myself. And he's like, um, listen, uh, can you uh, get his blood pressure done? I was like, blood pr- no, no, I don't have a blood pressure. I ain't doing this blood pressure. Like, you've got to go somewhere else to do that. Go see your GP. And he's like, okay, okay, listen, okay, you like, you said he's got a lump. Can you get a biopsy done? I thought, oh, you need to do a biopsy. You know a fair bit, don't you? So I was like, um, no, look, I, I can't do a biopsy right now. We need to get a scan first. He goes, what happens if I gave you loads of honey? And I thought, did he just say honey or money? Like, which, I mean, yeah, look, euphemism. one might sway me and one might not. So which one are we talking about here? And it's, I can give you the best honey you've ever had in your life. And I was like, I, wow. now I'm kind of You're like, confused. I don't know where this is going, yeah. man. Like, it's seriously. Find me a biopsy. Yeah. Find, find yeah, me exactly. Yeah. I was so baffled. I was so baffled. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, listen, uh, your, your, your honey might be very good and you may have a lot of honey but uh, I, I, that's afraid that's some, not something I can really, really entertain. And he, and he would kind of say, it's really good honey, mate. Uh, I think you're going to regret that. And then he walked off and I thought, was that like a Godfather moment that just happened yeah. there? Like, what was going on there? Well, have I just got threatened for not like doing the blood? Maybe I should do the blood pressure. Maybe yeah. I should go find a blood pressure machine. But no, Therusha, I would love to have some of your father's yeah, yeah, honey. Sure. I mean, if that's what we're really talking about, <laughs> money, whichever one, which one it is, money, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, have yeah, your father. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, I'll love, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I did not know that about you, Therusha, or your father. That's really funny. Um, cool, I mean, we've had a great week. Should we, should we um, I think, you know, it's been one out one and a bit. As always, thank you so much for, for listening, everyone. We've had a great week. And uh, Jay, you've been a really fantastic guest. I'm, I'm sure everyone will agree. Uh, we're going to have to have you back at some point soon, I'm sure. And we, I mean, we interact with each other for almost weekly now, you know, with our Twitter space. I mean, Ajay, would you like to say a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's something we've done. I think we've done four or five weeks worth now. And it's uh, mm. a Monday night evening on-call chat. It's eight o'clock, 30 minutes. We often have 30 or 40 people uh, Usually about eight or nine people speak. The topics go all over the shop, but it's just nice actually on people you've met mm. on social media. Not tweets. There's no record of it. It's just a nice little chat, and we debrief and talk about things and talk about things that may have come up on this podcast or just general stuff. So it's been strange because uh, you didn't know how it would go, but it, it's kind of people seem to enjoy it. So we will do it again. So please join us on yeah. on the three of us on Monday at eight o'clock, and we will talk about. Well, God knows what we'll talk about, but we'll talk about whatever comes up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Always looking forward to it. Uh, as, as always, it's been a pleasure, AJ. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I uh, guess we'll see you next week for some more fun. Yeah, take care. Right, bye. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mike with Imran Nasker and Therusha Gawadna. Thank you for listening. <laughs>